When they had made libation and drunk whatever their hearts wished, then with a trick in his mind, said Odysseus of many devices, Listen to me, you who of the glorious queen are the suitors, so I can say such things as the heart in my breast is demanding. Now of Eurymachus first, and of godlike Antinous also, do I entreat, since he too has said words fitting and proper, let the bow be for the present, entrust to the gods what will happen, then in the morning the god will give strength to whomever he wishes. But come, give me the well-polished bow now, so that among you I may try out my hands and my strength, to discover if I still have such force in my flexible limbs as I had in the past, or whether by roaming and lack of good care I already am ruined. So he spoke, and they all were exceedingly vexed and reproachful, fearing that he might bend that well-polished bow to the bowstring. Then Antinous jeered and said these words, calling upon him, Miserable stranger, in you is no mind, not even a little. Are you not satisfied how at your ease you are dining among us high-born men, nor are wanting for dinner, but even can hear what we are discussing and how we are saying it? There is no other stranger, and surely no beggar, who listens to what we are saying. It is the honey-sweet wine which brings you to grief, as it injures others as well who take it in gulps, not drinking in measure. It was the wine which made Eurytion, glorious centaur, maddened against great-hearted Perithous once in his palace, when he had come to the Lapiths. With wine in his mind he was maddened. Then in his frenzy he wrought great harm in Perithous' palace. Grief took hold of the heroes, and leaping upon him they dragged him outside, out through the forecourt, and then with a pitiless bronze they cut off his ears and his nostrils, and he, become mad in his spirit, went on bearing about in his volatile heart a great madness. Out of it came the contention between those men and the centaurs, but it was first for himself, when heavy with wine he found evil. So I declare for you too great trouble, if ever you put that string on the bow, for indeed no courtesy you will encounter here in this country of ours. In a black ship then we will send you to King Echetos, worker of ruin to all who are mortal, quickly. From there you would not be saved. No, quietly stay here drinking. Do not seek quarrels with men who are younger than you are. Prudent Penelope then spoke answering words and addressed him. It is not noble or just, Antinous, so to be treating guests of Telemachus lightly, whoever may come to this dwelling. Do you expect, if the stranger should fasten the string on the mighty bow of Odysseus, in confidence both of his hands and his power, he would then take me away to his home, there make me his bedmate? Certainly it is not what he himself in his breast is expecting. Let not any of you on that account grieve in your spirit while you are banqueting here, since not in the least is it seemly. Speaking to her then answered Eurymachus, Polybus' offspring, Noble Icarius' daughter, Penelope, thoughtful and prudent, we do not think he will take you away with him. It is not seemly. But it is shame we feel at the gossip of men and of women, lest some other Achaean of meaner descent should be saying, Far inferior men are now courting the wife of the faultless man and cannot even bend his well-polished bow to the bowstring. 
Rather, another, a beggar and wandering man who arrived here, easily fastened the string to the bow, then shot through the iron. So they will say, and to us such words will be shame and dishonor. Prudent Penelope then spoke answering words and addressed him. No, Eurymachus, there is no way that the men who dishonor, eating it up, this house of a man so noble will have good fame here among our people. So why take this as a censure? Now this stranger is both very large in stature and well-built. As to descent, he claims to be son of a well-born father. But come, give him the well-polished bow now, that we may observe him. For I say to you plainly, and this thing will be accomplished, if he should fasten the string, and Apollo should give him the glory, I will attire him in mantle and tunic, the finest apparel, and a sharp javelin give him, from men and from dogs a protection, also a two-edged sword. For his feet I will furnish the sandals. Then I will send him wherever his heart and his spirit command him. Thoughtful Telemachus then spoke out to her, giving an answer. Mother mine, as to the bow, no man of Achaea has greater power than I have to give and deny it to any I wish to. No, not those who in rock-strewn Ithaca govern the people, nor those ruling the islands towards horse-pasturing Elis. None of the men will prevent me against my will if I wish to give this bow outright to be carried away by the stranger. But go back to your room and devote more care to your own work, weaving and spinning, the loom and the distaff, bidding your handmaids busy themselves with their labor. The men will attend to the bow now, all of them, I above all, since mine is the rule of the household. Struck with astonishment then, she went back up to her chamber, for to her heart she had taken the thoughtful remarks of her offspring. Going upstairs to her chamber, along with her women attendants, there she lamented Odysseus, the husband she loved, till a pleasant slumber was cast down over her lids by bright-eyed Athena. Now the curved bow had the excellent swineherd taken and carried, but in the hall then all of the suitors were shouting together. Such are the words which one of the arrogant youths would have spoken. Where are you taking the curved bow now, you miserable swineherd, madman? Soon swift dogs that you raised yourself will be eating you amid swine, quite alone and forsaken of men, if Apollo shows us his favor, as well as the rest of the gods who live always. So they spoke, and he took it and put it again in the same place, fearful because in the hall so many were shouting together. Quickly Telemachus, threatening him from the other side, shouted, Papa, keep bringing the bow. You will not do well to heed all men. Take care, lest though younger I chase you away to the pastures, showering you with stones. In strength I am greatly your better. Would that above all these who are here in the palace, the suitors, both in my hands and my vigorous strength, I were that much better. Then I would soon send each of them wretchedly off on a journey out of this palace of ours, since they are devising us evils. So he spoke, and at him they all began merrily laughing, all of the suitors, and so gave over the furious wrath they felt for Telemachus. Taking the bow through the palace, the swineherd placed it in skillful Odysseus' hands while standing beside him. Calling her out of the room, he spoke to the nurse Eurycleia. Thus does Telemachus bid you to do now, wise Eurycleia. 
onto the close-fitting doors of the hall, put bars to secure them. Even if any of them should within hear groaning or noises made by the men inside of these walls of ours, then not at all should she go out, but remain right there at her work in silence. So she spoke, and in her was the word unwinged for an answer. She put bars on the doors of the house well built as a dwelling. Then in silence Philoetius hurried outside of the palace. There straightway he barred up the gates of the strong-walled courtyard. Under the porch there was lying a tractable galley's papyrus cable with which he fastened the gates. Then he himself entered. There he went and sat down on the bench whence he had arisen, keeping his eye on Odysseus, who now kept handling the great bow, turning it every direction and testing one side and the other, fearing that worms could have eaten the horn while the master was absent. Thus would one of them say, as he looked at another beside him. He is for sure an admirer of bows, yes, even an expert. No doubt, either in his own house there are such things lying, or else he is intending to make one. So in his hands he turns it one side and the other, the vagabond practiced in evils. Thus would somebody else of the arrogant young men answer. Would that he might encounter success to as great a degree as now he ever is able to bend this bow to the bowstring. So those suitors were saying, Odysseus of many devices, once he had taken the great bow up and had looked it all over, as when a man who has talent and skill at the lyre and at singing easily stretches a string to a peg just recently fitted, tightening both of the ends of the twisted and flexible sheep gut, so did Odysseus fasten the string on the bow without effort. Taking it up in his right hand then, he tested the bowstring. Pleasantly under his hand it sang like the voice of a swallow. Great grief then came over the suitors. The skin of them all turned color, and Zeus began mightily thundering, showing his portents. Then much suffering noble Odysseus rejoiced at the omen he had been sent by the sign of Kronos of crooked devices. He picked up a swift arrow that lay nearby on the table, naked and loose, for the others were lying inside of the hollow quiver. Of these the Achaeans were soon to be given a trial. Putting it up to the bridge, he drew back the string and the notches. Right from the bench he was sitting upon, he fired off the arrow, aiming it straight towards them, and of all of the axes he did not miss any helve hole right from the first, but the bronze-heavy arrow went straight out through the end. To Telemachus then he said these words, Never, Telemachus, does this stranger who sits in your palace cause you shame. Not a whit of my aim I missed, nor a long time labored at stringing the bow. Even yet my strength remains steadfast not, as the suitors have said, dishonoring me with their insults. Now is the time, too, that the Achaeans command that a meal be made in the daylight, and then take pleasure with other amusements, singing and playing the lyre, since these are adornments of dining. Thus, with his brows he nodded. About him, then, was a sharp sword girt by Telemachus, much-loved scion of godlike Odysseus. Onto his spear, then casting his hand, he took his position close to him there by the armchair, equipped with the glittering bronze arms. 